ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. You're listening to Breakdown, an exclusive podcast of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. For more information, including photos, court records, and video, go to AJC.com slash news slash breakdown. Also, please join our Breakdown Facebook group to meet our reporters and ask questions about our story. Previously on Breakdown. Okay, that's fine. I'll get them out there. I just need to know what he was doing wrong. Well, first of all, under citizen's arrest, the crime has to occur in your presence. And even then, if it doesn't occur in your presence, you have to have probable cause to believe a crime was here. Under no circumstances does a black guy running down the street create probable cause. Even if you were to credit the previous, supposed previous reports of burglaries and stuff like that, the problem is, is that Roddy's not testifying. And if the policeman were to get on the stand and say, this is what Roddy told me, that is hearsay, okay? Because what Roddy is saying is, I heard Travis McMichael say X, Y, Z. You're a dirty, rotten bastard. The prosecution is putting in Roddy's statement for the truth of the matter asserted. They are trying to prove that he heard Travis say those things. Okay, that's hearsay. That's classic hearsay. And if Roddy's not testifying, I don't see how the prosecution gets that in. Welcome back to Breakdown. I'm Bill Rankin, legal affairs reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So much has happened since our last episode. We just had contentious bond hearings for Travis and Greg McMichael, and we'll get to them in a bit. And of course, we had Election Day, maybe Election Week or Election Month or more like it, right? But I want to tell you about what happened in Georgia. First of all, Jackie Johnson, the district attorney in Brunswick, the first DA to have the Ahmad Arbery case, was defeated in her re-election bid. All signs point to her initial handling of the case as the primary reason why. She was defeated by Keith Higgins, who used to work for Johnson and ran as an independent. I'm joined again by my colleague, Asia Burns. Asia, can you give a quick summary of how Jackie Johnson handled the case? Yes, I can. Ahmaud Arbery was chased through the Satilla Shores neighborhood by Greg and Travis McMichael, and they were later joined by Roddy Bryan. Greg McMichael, who's now retired, once worked for Jackie Johnson as an investigator in her office. Johnson has said she immediately recognized the conflict, so she called George Barnhill the DA in a neighboring circuit, and asked him if he could provide a prosecutor to help the Glynn County police. Two Glynn County commissioners have said the police told him that Johnson instructed the cops not to make any arrests the day of the shooting. Johnson has said that was absolutely not true. Three days after the shooting, Johnson notified the state attorney general that she was recusing herself, and she said she'd already reached out to Barnhill. The AG's office, not knowing Barnhill's son, worked for Johnson, then appointed Barnhill. Barnhill would later accuse himself, too, because of his conflicts of interest. He'd also write a letter to police saying he thought no crime had been committed. It was a letter that has been universally condemned. In May, a few days after the McMichaels arrests, State Attorney General Chris Carr formally asked the U.S. Justice Department to investigate how the Arbery case was handled from the outset. 
The family, the community, and the state of Georgia deserve answers, he said. That investigation is ongoing. Johnson took to the airwaves this summer and expressed confidence she will be cleared of any wrongdoing. Here she is on the Butch and Bob radio show on WIFO in Jessup, Georgia. There's a firestorm, and, you know, a lie, you know, makes it around the world a couple of times before the truth gets the chance to get out there. And all I can rely on is, you know, the people that know me and know that I wouldn't do something uh, of this of this magnitude. I mean, I, 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 I'm just, uh, you know, I, all I can, I don't fear the truth. You know, I, I don't fear the truth, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that this is investigated, investigated by the Attorney General, by the Department of Justice, and they can see what I did and see what we were doing was just trying to make the best decisions that, as we could at the time. I'm confident that, you know, at, at, at when, when, if people can, you know, wait for all the facts to come out, you know, they'll see that I was trying to do, do the best I could at the time under the circumstances, and I didn't, I didn't have any ill intent here other than to make sure that the police had what they needed to do their job and that the case moved along. Still, Johnson has her critics. People want us to mete out justice, and and we cannot show favor to those who have worked for us, those who we have relationships with. And in that case, it was clear that she told the uh, police officers not to do the investigation, not to arrest um, the offenders, and it, and it cost her her job. And, and, and rightfully so, because as district attorney, we have to remember that we have a duty not only to our community, but to the victims of crimes and also to the offenders themselves. And, and in meeting out that duty, we have to take responsibility for the actions that we that we um, in, impose. And in this case, she imposed actions that cost her a job. That's attorney Flynn Brody. Running as a Democrat, he defeated Republican Joyette Holmes to become Cobb County's DA. As you know, Holmes was overseeing the Arbery case, so when he takes office in January, Brody will become the fifth district attorney to oversee the Arbery case. We recently asked Brody about his plans. We're definitely going to continue to pursue it. One of the things that we really want to do is, is we, need, we need to set a precedent here in Georgia that we have to do a better job of getting involved. Um, we cannot continue to look at each other and, and, and fear one another and think that, you know, just because of who you are and your skin color, you're, you're trying to commit a crime. As for Arbery, Brody said, it was clear that he was empty-handed when he left the home Larry English had under construction on February 23rd. And, and so their defense of using the um, citizen's arrest law is, is, is bad at worst. Um, and when they, when they try to use that reason, the, the first aspect of it is you have to see somebody in the midst of committing a crime. And that they can't you they, they can't tell that. And so I, I think we're going to go forward with the, with the case um, against all three defendants to make sure that we, we make a, a resounding noise here in, in, in Georgia. Period. That you know we we're not going to continue to hate one another. We have to learn to get along, to live together, and and, and just be better neighbors. And, and I think it's going to be critical that if we start that here, maybe we resound out throughout the nation. That takes us to Thursday, November 12th. That was not only Asia's birthday, it was the day set for bond hearings for Travis and Greg McMichael. And, no surprise, it dragged on into Friday as well. Now, instead of driving five hours down to Brunswick during a pandemic, we watched and recorded the hearing on a live stream. And the audio at times wasn't the best, so please bear with us. The hearing was presided over by Judge Timothy Walmsley. He had some important decisions to make before everything got started, such as how far was he going to let the McMichael's lawyers attack the prosecution's case. And whether he was going to allow those lawyers to present character evidence about Ahmaud Arbery. This included his mental health records and his prior run-ins with the law, among other things. As expected, lead prosecutor Jesse Evans strongly opposed it. His character is impermissible, impermissible trial, certainly is not uh, permissible to go into those items that are irrelevant for issues of bonds. And Walmsley, at least for now, shut the door on it. The American victim is 
is not a step the court is willing to take on here. If for some reason something comes up during the presentation of evidence today, the court needs to reconsider that. Wamsley also said this. We're not trying to case today. We don't want to. We're dealing with bombs. I don't know what the defenses are. I don't know what the state's theory of the case ultimately will be for trial. So we're going to keep it as narrow as we can here. As you'll see, it didn't exactly turn out that way. Jason Sheffield, one of Travis McMichael's lawyers, told Walmsley that the state had provided exhibits to the defense about the McMichael's racist posts on social media and their cell phones. The state's declaration that this is about racism, racism, racist whites running after and murdering an innocent black child. And so that is what we believe the state is going to be presenting to the court this morning. And we would ask that the court not allow the state to present that. In response, Evans then cited our podcast, and we always appreciate the mention of Breakdown. He appears to be referencing Episode 4. That's where the McMichaels lawyers strongly denied allegations that Travis and Greg McMichael hunted down Arbery because he was a black man. Um, there's been a narrative here, very publicly, in fact, even on a, um, Breakdown, a public um, AJC podcast, that this is not about race, that these defendants are not racist, that this is not a... Uh, there's no racial component to this. Evans then referenced the Justice Department hate crimes investigation. He said there was not only a possibility of formal charges, but a probability. Hey, this is not pie in the sky that there might be some action that's occurring here, um, but actually contrary to some the narrative that has been um, asserted by the defense regarding what their views are on race, we've actually uncovered evidence to support what the Department of Justice is looking into. Bob Rubin, Travis McMichael's other lawyer, told Walmsley they didn't want to try the case at a bond hearing, but court filings by the prosecution gave the defense little alternative, he said. For instance, even in the, one of the first lines of its responsive pleading, it calls Mr. Arbery a jogger. We have substantial evidence that on the day in question, Mr. Arbery was not a jogger. He was there for nefarious purposes. We would have to respond to that allegation of fact with facts of our own in order to rebut the state's evidence. Walmsley said that eventually the case has to go to trial before a fair and impartial jury. I will tell you right now that um, it is a concern of the court that we're running around jumping on podcasts trying a portion of this case uh, out in the media. Uh, I'm not telling anyone that they have to stop. Just making sure that that's aware of the professional responsibility will be happen in this case, which is ultimately going to be a fair trial in the state of Florida. Um, I bring it up now because I've got a feeling as we get into the evidence here today, there's going to be a bunch of artillery being thrown back and forth on some very uh, touchy subjects. Wamsley said his role in the case is to keep a level head and to make sure everyone else does the same thing. I just hope they heard him say he wasn't ordering them to stop talking to podcasts. Okay, Travis McMichael's lawyers were up first. The hearing was held inside the Glen County Courthouse, but Travis and his father, sitting side by side, watched it remotely from the county jail. Lawyer Bob Rubin called his first witness to the stand. It was Lee McMichael, mother of Travis, wife of Greg. Rubin asked about her grandson, Travis's four-year-old son, Everett. From observing Travis with Everett through the first four years of Everett's life, in your opinion, what does Everett mean to Travis? The world. Travis would never leave Everett. Lee McMichael then testified about the break-ins in her neighborhood in the months leading up to Arbery's killing. This includes a New Year's Day incident where a gun was stolen out of Travis's truck. I had to go to work, so my husband moved his truck, Travis's truck. His part behind me, put it in the side yard, and got out and just forgot to lock the doors again. And within 30 minutes, in the 10, 10 11 o'clock in the morning, within 30 minutes, someone had stolen a gun out of Travis's truck. And she talked about what happened on the night of February the 11th, just 12 days before Arbery's killing, when her son Travis called 911. That's when Travis told police he saw a man he later identified as Aubrey inside Larry English's home under construction. 
leaving Michael, also said that four family friends were willing to put up property for Travis's and Greg's bonds. Combined, they had about $400,000 in equity between them. On cross-examination, Prosecutor Jesse Evans asked Lee McMichael some pointed questions, and he got the answers he was looking for. You talked about a situation where uh, defendant Travis McMichael called 911 after he went back to his house and get a cell phone, correct? Right. Uh, you're aware that on that night he also got a, a firearm in your husband, correct? Right. Okay. And um, just to be clear, uh, when that 911 call was placed, police arrived, right? Right. Okay. And um, they took a report, correct? Right. And nobody died. Right. The defense also called Zach Langford to the stand. Langford said he's known Travis since they were little kids and considered Travis to be his best friend. I've known him 30 plus years and I've never seen him mad one time. Half, I mean, mad, mad to fight. I've never, never seen him funny, outgoing, won't make you laugh, won't make everybody laugh. He was asked about Arbery's killing. Felt remorse. He didn't like what happened. I mean, he talked about he was having trouble sleeping, lost his appetite, I know, for a couple of days. When Langford called Travis his best friend, it made me wonder what kind of texts or social media posts they had shared over the years. I mean, there's been a lot of testimony about some of the racist posts Travis has made. And what comes next includes language that is racially offensive. We debated about leaving it out, but ultimately decided it was important to include. Here's Jesse Evans on Cross. Do you recall that text exchange between you and defendant Travis McMichael in which he was talking about shooting a black coon with gold teeth that had a high point 45? He was referring to a raccoon. Okay. No. A, a raccoon with gold teeth and a high point 45? It was being facetious. I mean. To which you responded that this raccoon needed Newport cigarettes. Is that, is that your testimony? That is an exchange between you and defendant Travis McMichael, correct? Yes, sir. Well, that didn't sound good at all. No, not one bit. And his name will come up again later. Next up was Zach's wife, Ashley. Like other witnesses who know Travis, she said Travis wouldn't run if released on bond. He's not going to run from this problem. You know, he would see it through fully. And he's got his son here, and he's not going to leave as well. As for shooting Ahmad Arbery? He wished it never happened like that, that he would never want that to happen. And he prayed for Ahmad's mother and family daily. Here's Jesse Evans again, reminding Ashley of her interview with the GBI after the shooting. Travis McVichael, he gave you his version of what happened on February 23rd. That's the date of the shooting, is that correct? Yes, sir. But you, you weren't present there and didn't see it or anything like that? Um, when he did give his version of it, one of the quotes that I, I had from your interview, Travis McMichael told you that he tried to, quote, corner up uh, Mr. Arbery. Do you remember that? Um, I apologize. That was months ago. I'm not really sure if I said corner, but, you know, I think basically they just wanted to stop him to talk to him to allow police to get there. Another witness, Ashley Sawyer, said she has known Travis since middle school. And she also called him her best friend. What had Travis told her? That he was fully aware of what happened, that he didn't feel like anything that he'd done was on the wrong side of the law, that they were willing to face whatever they needed to. All he's ever said is he wants to see his son. Greg McMichael's lawyers also called Lee McMichael to the stand. She said that since his arrest on May 7th, her husband had lost 45 pounds and looked pale and weak. Lee McMichael visits her husband twice a week on Sundays and Wednesdays. They talk for no more than 15 minutes on a phone across a plexiglass window. She said Greg got to go outside for the first time since his arrest just a couple of days before the hearing. It rained. Lee said they'd gone through some tough times. They lost their home, 
and they went into bankruptcy after the housing crisis a decade ago. Greg has suffered two heart attacks and a stroke, she said. Here's defense attorney Laura Hogue. You had your 37th anniversary just a couple of months ago. How would you describe the strength of your marriage to Greg McMichael? Very strong. What are you basing that on? I'm basing it on our past. Um, we've been through so much. Um, a lot of hard times that it, we just get stronger every time we go through something. Hogue asked about Greg's law enforcement career. Has your husband ever shot anyone? No, ma'am. You say that very quickly. Is that important to Greg McMichael? It is very important to him. Why do you think that's important to him as a law enforcement officer never to have shot anyone? Because there's been so many opportunities that he, he, he could, did not have to use it. He did not have to use his gun. Did, would you say that that's a relief to him? That is. Lee McMichael was asked about something her 30-year-old daughter Lindsay did after Arbery's killing. That is, take a picture of the scene and post it on Facebook. McMichael, how did you feel when you discovered that your daughter had posted a picture of the scene on her Facebook page? Horrified. Why? Disgusted. It's, uh, it was a bad judgment call, and she has been tormented and harassed ever since. Had you and Greg discussed how he felt about what his daughter yes, did? Yes. And what did he convey he to you? He was furious. The defense called a few more witnesses, including friends willing to put up property for Bond and Greg McMichael's cardiologist. He testified that McMichael was at a greater risk during the pandemic because of his previous health issues. When it was Jesse Evans' turn to make his case opposing Bond, he called no witnesses. Instead, he attached a flash drive to the large monitor inside the courtroom. It included exhibits he sought to get into evidence. He mentioned there were some audio and video files which certainly got my attention. This had to mean we were going to hear and or see more than we'd heard or seen before. One involved a post Travis made in the Neighborhood Facebook page on November 19th, 2019. In this Facebook group post for Satilla Shores, the defendant posts essentially arm up in response to things that allegedly are occurring in this neighborhood. That same day, he made another post. Here you have a post where a defendant is affirmatively saying that they're playing with fire, that he's, that this could lead precisely to what we're talking about, danger to community, persons, or property. Evans noted that Greg McMichael, on April 17th, 2019, changed his Facebook status update to Identity Dixie, which the Southern Poverty Law Center in Alabama has identified as a hate group. McMichael's lawyer, Laura Hogue, objected. She said there was no evidence indicating that McMichael embraced Identity Dixie. Evans also introduced recorded phone calls between Lee McMichael and her husband Greg when he was in custody at the jail. Evans contended they involved Greg telling his wife to destroy evidence. Evans then introduced into evidence a coded message sent in a postcard from the jail. He said it came from Greg McMichael to Travis's longtime friend, Zach Langford. This looked bad. The message written on the postcard is indecipherable unless there was actually a real code, and more on this later. At the end of his presentation, Jesse Evans said he had two victim impact statements. One from Marcus Arbery, Ahmad's father, who was in the courtroom gallery. Evans read his statement. Quote, I suffered the deepest loss a father can endure when the McMichaels, with the knowing participation of William Roddy Bryan Jr., acted as my son's judge, jury, and executioner. I urge the court to reject the motion for bond and continue to keep defendants behind bars. What comes next is a statement from Arbery's mom, Wanda Cooper-Jones. It was extremely powerful. Someone contacted my attorney on the behalf of Lynn County this past spring. During the course of the GBI's secondary investigation, they discovered what they believe to be one of Amaz's bone fragments near where he was murdered in Satilla Shores. They wanted to know what we wanted to do with those pieces of my son that they were still discovering in the streets. I have sat 
here and I've listened to the attorneys for both Travis and Gregory McMichael. Their defense is summed up in an idea of grabbing their guns, chasing, boxing my son in with the vehicles, pursuing him, and eventually shooting him to death, ripping his body into pieces. And that was the right thing to do. That if given the opportunity, both men would do the same thing again. These men are proud of what they've done. And they want to go home because in their selfish minds, they think that they're the good guys. And I and my family is left literally to pick up the pieces. These men are as dangerous today as they were on February the 23rd of 2020. It is not fair for these guys to even get a pretrial release, even for consideration. They cannot go home. In the name of justice, decency, and fairness, please keep these men behind bars until they can answer for what. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Wamsley took a break. Then he allowed lawyers for both of the McMichaels to put in their exhibits into evidence. As we told you in episode four, the McMichaels had previously saved lives. Greg during a stint in the Navy, and Travis one summer at a youth camp, and later when he served in the U.S. Coast Guard. Evidence of these acts, including letters of praise from superiors, were entered into evidence. On Friday, the judge heard arguments. First up was Jesse Evans for the state. Right off the bat, he dismissed the McMichaels' past good deeds. Today is not a day to give out gold stars for past good deeds and those types of things. Today is a day for this court to judge the candidacy for bond for these two defendants. Um, so these good character and good deeds evidence really don't shed any light on, uh, on whether or not this court should um, grant bond to these defendants. I would submit to the court that it's actually quite a bit of a distraction. Evans then showed some photos of a house on the street where Travis McMichael shot and killed Ahmaud Arbery. Stray gunfire from the three shotgun blasts hit the house and one punched a hole through a window. A civilian could have needlessly been killed uh, because of the gunfire uh, that Travis McMichael uh, intentionally did in the middle of that street. And, uh, but for the grace of God, that round did not strike somebody in the community. It only damaged property. Next, Evans played a recording of a phone call Greg McMichael made from the jail. He doesn't identify who was on the other end. I think about every, every minute. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I, I just, all night, I said, all right, I can't, I can't sleep, I can't, 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 and that certainly is a belying of the mental state of this defendant who thinks that what happened was appropriate. Evans then played the video taken by Roddy Bryan of the shooting. Sitting in the courtroom gallery was Ahmad's mom, Wanda Cooper-Jones. Yeah, and this was really tough. This poor woman is watching video of her son's killing. The court shall be authorized to release a person on bail only if the court finds that the person poses no significant danger to person, community, or property. Evans also accused the McMichaels, Greg in particular, of trying to obstruct the investigation. He played some video snippets from the body cams of police who had arrived on the scene minutes after the fatal shooting. 
Here's the first. So I grab my Princess Magnum. It's an old Blake County PD issue, by the way. Here's another. Hey, give me just a minute. You know, I was chief investigator with the DA's office for okay. three years, so I know what you got to do. I yeah. know, I know everything. You know. Yeah, we're just, we just, you know. One more. Let's go, let's go. So I haul that into my bedroom, get my three seven Magnum. It's just Blake County PD issue, by the way. But I told you years ago. Evan said it was inappropriate and unnecessary for Greg McMichael to say he once was a cop and worked for the DA's office. He's actively inserting to investigators in this case who are on the scene of a homicide that he's former law enforcement uh, such that that should be a factor in weighing their approach. Here's one more exchange. A coroner had arrived at the scene and was asking officers what happened. Greg McMichael, who was standing off to the side, interjected himself into the conversation. Um. Yeah, they, there was a struggle. He ended up getting shot in the chest from what I understand two times. Did he live around here? Not that I know of. The victim? He, he makes frequent trips to the neighborhood and gets caught on video cameras like every third or fourth night breaking into places. And nobody's been able to catch him. And having recognized him from the video I'd seen not too very long or several days ago, I'm standing out my front yard when he comes running by my room. I'm not talking about trying. I'm talking about hauling ass past my, my house. Um, I ran inside to get my son. I said, the guy that's, that we saw the other, or he saw the other night, I said, he's running down the street. Arbery got caught on video every third or fourth night. Hardly. Maybe three or four times the past four months. What an overstatement. Evans continued to unveil things we've never heard before. For example, just minutes after the shooting, Greg McMichael called District Attorney Jackie Johnson and left a message on her phone. Jackie, this is Greg. Could you call me as soon as you possibly can? Um, we're, um, my son and I have been involved in the shooting, and uh, I need some advice right away. Could you please call me as soon as you possibly can? Thanks. Bye. Here's what Evans made of it. From his perspective, making these phone calls and doing the things that he does, did, including interjecting his law enforcement background from the state's perspective as an obvious attempt to obstruct and influence the investigation. Evans then touched on Lindsay McMichael's Facebook post with a photo of the crime scene. He plays a recorded phone call between Lee McMichael and her husband Greg from the jail. Tell me about Lindsay. Huh? You can tell me about Lindsay. Yes. Yeah. There with you now? Yeah. She has got to stop. She will. Get rid of that, that uh, stuff. Yeah. Make it disappear. Make it go away. This is evidence of this defendant actively, while in custody, trying to obstruct the investigation of this case and influence witnesses by calling Lee McMichael and asking her to have his daughter delete things from social media that were a source of investigation in this particular case. Evans then discussed the coded letter, the postcard. Some things to note about uh, this, this letter, Your Honor. From Greg McMichael, inmate ID, to Zachary Langford. A witness that you heard from yesterday, Your Honor. Evans cited the jail's rules for inmates. They specifically forbid letters written in code and say they will be confiscated. And he ends with this. In sum, Judge, as I submit this to the court, the court shall be authorized to release a person on bail if the court finds that the person poses no significant risk of flight, danger, risk of committing new felony, risk of intimidating witnesses, or obstructing justice. Your Honor, we've presented evidence in rebuttal as to each of these four factors, and any one of which would be sufficient for this court to deny bond and bail in this particular case. So my final thoughts, Your Honor, is that you should deny bond here. Bob Rubin, representing Travis McMichael, made his plea for bond. He noted that, first of all, the best predictor of future behavior is a person's past behavior. And the state glosses over and says, we don't need to worry about that. This is not the day for gold stars. This is the day for gold stars. 
this is when past behavior matters. He's got a four, now four-year-old son, Court has pictures of, who means the world to him. <clears throat> Suggesting, Your Honor, fairly strongly that he's not a risk to flee, because if he did, he would never see his son again. If past behavior predicts future behavior, that's who you're dealing with. Someone who abides by the rules, someone who is willing to abide by any conditions this court sets, someone who goes above and beyond to save people, no matter what private offensive messages he has with friends. Ruben referred to the video of the shooting taken by co-defendant Roddy Bryan. To look at that video and claim that Travis McMichael is a danger to the community fails to see not only the span of this case, which we, we will get into, but the span of Travis McMichael's life. He's never posed a danger before or after February 23rd. And I would submit to the court, he didn't pose a danger on the 23rd. The danger came from Mr. Arbery. Travis did everything the police asked of him after the shooting, Reuben said. He answered all their questions at the scene. He later provided a written statement and drew a map of what happened. He didn't try to obstruct anything, Reuben said. Travis McMichael is the poster child for cooperation with the police. Reuben reminded Walmsley about the friends and family willing to put up their property for Bond. And he said Travis will abide by any conditions the judge sets if Bond is granted. Travis McMichael is not a criminal, nothing but abided by the law and rules his whole life. He will abide by this court's rules. He will abide by this court's conditions. And we would ask this court to set a bond pending trial where these issues in dispute can be determined. Laura Hogue, representing Greg McMichael, followed. Like Reuben, she made a strong argument for bond as well. A life well lived, of service to his community, earning the respect of respectable people, committed to his marriage vows through thick and thin, with absolutely no criminal history and not a single complaint ever made in his 64 years on this planet related to aggression, violence, or disparate treatment. She also bristled at Evans' assertions that past good deeds shouldn't factor into getting a bond. I take great offense to Mr. Evans' comment that we're just up here talking about history, and that's just the past, Your Honor. That just couldn't be any further from the truth. History is the only reliable measure of a man's character. It's the only accurate predictor of future behavior. It is not, as the state characterizes it, a distraction. It's not smoke and mirrors. It's the basis, the foundation of the evidence you must consider she said Greg McMichael would show up for trial. Greg McMichael has no desire to be anywhere on the day of his trial, but right here is because we have a strong defense. This case, despite all that we've heard, is about whether Greg McMichael on February 23rd was authorized to protect his neighborhood against crime the way that he did, to do the good deed that he describes on the phone of putting himself out there to protect his community. Hoag said her client, who has no history of violence, didn't wake up the morning of February 23rd a racist vigilante murderer. And she noted the video doesn't show McMichael was happy about what happened. You have a video that shows you all the opportunities someone who would be that sick and awful would have taken, could have taken, to have murdered Ahmaud Arbery. 
In fact, you see that Greg McMichael doesn't even take his gun out of his holster until Ahmad Arbery bolts left and attacks Travis. This case isn't about race, Your Honor. This case in the indictment is about whether or not the private citizen's arrest law and the justification statutes allowed Greg McMichael to do what he chose to do that day for the sole purpose of defending his family and his property and his community. Hogue indicated the defense will try to use the video of Arbery's killing to their advantage. This videotape, as horrible as it is to watch, is exculpatory. It is the only proof of what Travis and Greg McMichael said at the scene immediately, and that is he attacked Travis. Who could ever believe that had there not been that videotape? McMichael didn't call DA Jackie Johnson from the scene to get cover from her during the investigation, Hogue said. He called for advice on a criminal defense lawyer. She read a subsequent voicemail McMichael left on Johnson's phone. Hey Jackie, this is Greg. Um, I have retained Alan Tucker, took your advice. I think Alan's going to do me a good job. And then he goes on to thank her so much for your advice. Hogue addressed the alleged coded letter sent from her client to Zach Langford as best she could. The last was some postcard of gobbledygook and uh, that sent out to his son's friend and some suggestion by a manual that he must have known the rules and chose to break them. That's not a rebuttal to the significant evidence in support of those factors, Your Honor. Frank Hogue, who also represents McMichael, issued a statement a few days after the hearing. The postcard was not written in code, he said. McMichael had twice tried unsuccessfully to mail letters from the jail. One was rejected because he put a neighbor's first and middle initials before the last name on the address. Full names were required, he was told. Frustrated, lonely, cut off from friends and family, Mr. McMichael composed a postcard to family friend Zach Lankford, whom he thought would find it amusing. It was made up entirely of gibberish, letters, numbers, and symbols that have no meaning and in no way constitute a code with any decipherable message. He regrets it now, but did it in a moment of frustration. Hogue also said he had relayed this to the authorities so they'll know the postcard is meaningless nonsense. I must say, it's pretty amazing that McMichael, who served decades as a lawman, would somehow think that would not go undetected. Okay, back to the hearing. At the close of her argument, Laura Hogue ended with this plea. If you have not been persuaded that Greg McMichael poses a significant risk of not being here or becoming the man he never was before and becoming a dangerous man suddenly in the 64th year of his life or to intimidate witnesses after a life of service to law enforcement, if you have been persuaded that that's not what's going to happen, that he'll be here and he'll be safe out there, then your not setting bond is simply beginning his punishment. He spent six months in the county jail and respectfully waited until we could get the pandemic to a place where we could have this hearing. He is a worthy candidate for bond despite what you hear from the state. And in fact, he does not give you the significant, compelling, and legitimate government need to deny him his right to liberty and freedom so that he can defend himself against these charges. Asia, at this point, did you think Judge Wamsley was going to grant bond? Honestly, I didn't. Although the judge is pretty hard to read, his demeanor didn't change much throughout the hearing, so it was hard to tell what he was thinking. I agree. 
and since he'd already denied Bond to Roddy Bryant, I had my doubts he would turn around and grant Bond to the McMichaels. For me, it seemed like the state put up enough evidence indicating that the McMichaels and the people around them may have hindered the investigation, or tried to. At this point, Walmsley rules. But for some reason, he stopped talking directly into the microphone that's right in front of him. So at times, it's extremely hard to understand him. We'll play for you some of the audio that at least we can understand. I'll even summarize what he says afterward in case you still can't hear him. Here he is denying Bond. The uh, court does not uh, intend to bring Bond as to Travis McMichael or Greg McMichael. Wamsley said he was concerned about the apparent bias the witnesses put up for Travis McMichael had for him. He also referenced the consistency of their testimony. That's a great remark. The court has some significant concerns about the fact that it does appear from the evidence that's out there uh, that Mr. McMichael uh, was willing to place um, the belongings um, in the hands. They felt that they had the ability to influence an ongoing investigation. And uh, I think the, the facts are still developing on this, but possibly that was one of the reasons why this case took so long. See what I mean? Please, Judge, in the future, talk into the microphone. So in case you didn't understand him, he said one reason he's denying Bond to Greg McMichael is that there was evidence he was going to place the law into his own hands. The judge said McMichael also felt like he could influence an ongoing investigation, which might be a reason the case took so long to get to where it is right now. Walmsley said he agreed the video can be interpreted a number of ways, but he also said this. Uh, the video to me uh, tells me that there's a significant risk for a danger to the community. What I saw, I understand there's no... I'll look back to my shoulder because there was some reference during closings about how... Mr. Arbery didn't identify from prior videos. I don't remember the evidence. Really bad. I don't think that may have been argued, but there's nothing to indicate to me that he was known as the B guy in the neighborhood prior to the baby shooting, which tells me that an anonymous person was chased through the neighborhood to be detained for um, trespass and burglary. Wamsley said the video of the shooting tells him there's a significant risk and threat of danger to the community. Oddly, he also said that he didn't remember any evidence that indicated Aubrey was the guy. That means an anonymous person was chased through the neighborhood to be detained for trespass and burglary, the judge said. And that then somehow resulted in individuals believing it was appropriate to block that individual's path of travel shoulder a firearm in order to get them to stop. There is a significant danger that all of those actions need to do just to do that. Be aware of the fact that they can end up exactly That was Wamsley finishing up, saying the McMichaels apparently thought it was okay to block Arbery's path and shoulder a weapon to get him to stop. There is significant danger to all of those actions and people who do it can end up exactly where the McMichaels find themselves now, the judge said. And yes, Judge Walmsley made a misstatement of fact. As you well know, Arbery had been seen in the neighborhood on video at Larry English's house under construction. He wasn't seen taking anything. He was just seen on the security video. After Walmsley said he would write up an order denying bond, Bob Rubin told the judge he was shocked that he thought the McMichaels had never seen the person they were pursuing. Walmsley said he'd look into it. With that, the hearing ended. The McMichaels and Brian remain in jail awaiting trial. There are no scheduled court dates on the horizon, but we'll be back with another episode soon. Next, on Breakdown. I will remind the court that we are aware of a pending speedy trial demand that's been filed by co-defendant Mr. Brian. Um, fortunately, because of the judicial emergency, we don't need to be too worried about those time constraints now. And I understand the terms of court here in Glen County are six months versus in Cobb, they happen to be two-month terms. But my point in saying that is we're cognizant of the fact that we've been put on notice that speedy trial issues, once we're able to try the case, will be an issue, Your Honor. 
and I can just stand here affirmatively for the court and tell the court that we'll be ready. As soon as it is feasible to try this case, we'll be ready to try the case. As always, thanks so much for listening. Please, please stay safe during this pandemic. It doesn't seem to be getting any better. Practice social distancing and wear a mask when you're in a crowded area. It's about time to enjoy the holidays, right? Until next time, I'm Bill Rankin. You've been listening to Breakdown, hosted by Bill Rankin. Produced by Asia Simone Burns and Bill Rankin. Edited by Jennifer Brett. Music by Bo Emerson and Billy Ewan. Sound design by Asia Simone Burns. Special thanks to Kevin Riley, Sean McIntosh, Leroy Chapman, Monica Richardson, and Pete Corson. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite download app. We also invite you to listen to the previous seven seasons of Breakdown. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.